Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. This is Brandy Scalace and I'm the Editor-in-Chief. And today I have two guests with me, Stuart Murray, who was on before with us to talk about the Living Bodies Objects Project, and also Amelia DeFalco, both of them in the School of English and also in the Medical Humanities Research Cluster at the University of Leeds. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks very much, Brandy. Hello. Hello. <laughs> now, Stuart, you've been on before, and so, and you're also on our uh, editorial board here at Medical Humanities. Uh, but Amelia, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself as well for those of our uh, those of our listeners who might not be as familiar with your work. Sure. So I'm an associate professor in medical humanities, as you mentioned, located in the School of English, uh, working mostly on the contemporary, um, specifically on literature and film, care, mm -hmm. and increasingly the post-human. That's fantastic. And Stuart, of course, I'll have you give a brief introduction, just in case people are joining us for the first time and haven't had a chance to get to know you before. Thanks. So I'm Stuart Murray, and I work in many of the, the same areas as Amelia. Actually, we find ourselves um, in a lot of meetings and conversations together. So I work um, particularly on uh, depictions, representations of, of disability, and increasingly on the technologized body and post-humanism. Yes, that's fantastic. And of course, I know what post-humanism is, and I've been uh, really interested in it for a long time, particularly through the lens of, of disability studies. But I was wondering if you could say a few words to those in our audience who might not be familiar with post-humanism. What, what does it really mean when we talk about this? I guess one thing to keep in mind is that there are many post-humanisms. So mm -hmm. it, it can be used to signify a wide range of approaches to embodiment, uh, longevity, um, technology, and the more than human world. The aspect of posthumanism that I'm interested in, which is often referred to as critical posthumanism, often to kind of differentiate from the more kind of transhumanist area, which is mm -hmm. embraces mm -hmm. body modification as a kind of way to elude vulnerability. The 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 critical posthuman perspective is helpful for me for thinking about, well, the shorthand is often in decentering the human in theories of living and being and knowing, but it also foregrounds embodiment, um, embeddedness, um, the connections between and the not just interconnections, but intraconnections. And those are the areas that I'm particularly interested in, the degree to which an incredible array of bodies human and more than are inevitably connected and entangled is right. the, the favored word of post -humanism. Right, right. Well, because I think a lot of, uh, one of the things that is true is that humanism obviously kind of gives it away, right? Humanism is makes human the center of, of the world, center of everything. It's very, 
uh, is a kind of well, it's it's not dissimilar, in fact, of the way that things were looked at in the 19th century, right? That the human is the top, it's the best thing ever, and that's what we <laughs> focus on. Of course, the downside of of moving away from humanism is the fear that the people who are already disenfranchised will then become less centered than they already are, and so. I think it's interesting to say post-humanism and transhumanism isn't saying humans don't matter. It's almost the opposite. It's saying that we need to center all human beings in their relationships to the world, to the environment, to each other, to technology, to, to you know, to society, to all the things that we're, we're part of. Would you say that that's kind of, you know, an important differentiation to make? Absolutely. I think that's a, a key point um, because there are many ways that Posthumanism can be alienating for, as you say, for um, modes of activism that are looking to increase inclusion. Because um, if it if there is this sense of moving towards a what some have called this horizontalizing of the ontological plane, right, where there's you kind of moving away any kind of, from hierarchy to the point where you know there's no the anthropocentrism is completely discarded then what happens to those efforts, right? To, right. Um, for inclusion, if there's no longer any human, but I think some of the most exciting work happening in post-humanism, whether it's, you know, kind of termed post-humanism or not, you know, is the work of black and indigenous scholars who are, you know, have been interrogating the very idea of the human and demonstrating the degree to which it's always been, um, a exclusionary construct and, mm-hmm. and one, yeah and one that can't i think a lot of them suggest can't really be rehabilitated so we have to have find other modes of thinking right. and one of the, the things that I, I one of the criticisms i've heard leveled at post-humanism mm-hmm. is you know well don't we already have a society that says material objects are more important than people that money is more mm-hmm. important than people that mm-hmm. you know why why do we want to promote something which suggests mm-hmm. somehow you're you're taking humans out of the equation again and so i think that's why i'm i'm leaning on this and i'd love to hear you say a few words about this Stuart, about when you're when in fact um it can be a really uh a good way of honoring these systems and saying no we are not in fact saying somehow people don't matter but rather almost the opposite yes because i think like Amelia, I would have immediately gone for the word decentering as part of understanding post-humanism's critical practice. And what I think is so effective there then is precisely the kind of assemblages and networks, which are two other big post-humanist phrases that can be built as a consequence of thinking through that decentering. And that's where I think post-humanism and the medical humanities are so interesting uh, and post-humanism and and medicine and health more generally. Because if you look back to early models of the medical humanities, where much of the reason given for the involvement of history, of artist therapy or ethics, was precisely this idea that those subjects humanized what was otherwise you know, a process of medical science. And I feel that there's been great profit in using those decentering practices to think about, for example, how ideas of wholeness were constructed around the body and not just the body, ideas of wholeness were constructed around the physician, say. 
So the idea that there was a singular physician looking at a singular patient and trying to think of their body in terms of restitution or recovery as the primary outcome of health. I think that, you know, the, the critical turn in lots of subjects, whether that be um, medical humanities or post-humanism or something analogous like, you know, animal studies, I think that's done great work, particularly in our subject, particularly for help, uh, helping us to understand what we might think of as cultures of health, yeah, interconnectedness, um, human animals, non-human animals. So I absolutely get the points about suspicion. I think there can be a real problem, as Emilio says, in, in making an assumption that you can just jump away. I think in particular from structures and communities, you know, of, of vulnerable populations. So I think it's a balance then between working out, you know, the, the incredible effectiveness of the decentering practices, but not being so lost in abstraction that you leave behind the people you would want to talk most about. I think that maybe one of the, the issues for me is I, I don't think it needs to be so much about decentering the human as decentering the center. Uh, the, the center that has always been, which tends to be white and Western and frequently masculine, um, is is what I think is valuable to decenter or to queer, um, as it is sometimes posited. This idea that you can uh, you can you can pitch back at wholeness, using wholeness as a word. I think this is great in the, in the concept. Uh, I'm sorry, in the in the landscape of disability studies, what does it mean to be whole? Mm. Um, so, for instance, I was just uh, I was just on a helping with a book tour. Lindsay Fitzharris just wrote a book called The Face Maker about plastic surgery in World War One. And one of the the tensions that she discovered in that book, and that I think is really fascinating, is the difference between arriving at functionality. So you've been injured, you've had your jaw blown off or something, arriving at functionality versus continuing for another 30 surgeries to try and arrive at a space where you think you are whole enough for society. And this concept that you can't return to society unless you achieve a kind of um, normative wholeness, right? And this was, this was difficult for um, for soldiers who lose limbs or other amputees, but it also, I think, people who are in wheelchairs, they don't consider themselves not whole. <laughs> but yet medicine, as you point out, has a tendency to center on this, um, this idea of the whole perfect human in ways that's really problematic. Um, and in fact, you know, uh, stigmatizes and, and causes all kinds of other problems. It's a really good example of the First World War, I think. And to take up the point you, you rightly make, it, it, it's not entirely about decentering the human because it's about decentering structures as much as mm -hmm. anything, isn't it? And I think there's been great writing from historians on disability in the First World War. Think of the work of somebody like Julie Anderson. Mm -hmm. And what's so effective there is not just to see how medical practices followed this idea of of a stress on a recovery of wholeness but how that equally was built into government mm -hmm. you know and 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 state policies mm -hmm. of public health and and when those things come into play you're absolutely right brandy it's a point isn't it about you know those are not structures of the human per se those are structures of governance um and and you know structures and systems of healthcare so I think when we when we track that back to what we mean by posthumanism, um, it, it's it's carrying forward a critical impetus of the positive offsetting. I think what we can see positively from those processes, and certainly the intersections between them and and medical humanities. Uh, you know, I think you know 
what Amelia and I would say working on the project, you know, as we are living bodies objects, is that we're not over-focusing on the post-human, but it's definitely something which is making the approach of the project, you know, it's giving it insight. Right, right. Well, and let's return then to living bodies objects, which is in process. This is something that's really unique in the sense that uh, we're not waiting till you till you have uh, a thing, but rather we're investigating and engaging as you create and, and come up with and dig and do all of the things around that project. So um, could you tell us a little bit about the launch, about where you are, about uh, where you're you're headed and, and where we are in this particular space of time? We had the launch last month and it was wonderful. And, and it was wonderful for lots of reasons. And I was thinking back to the conversation I had with you, Brandy, before we had the launch, because we were talking a lot about ideas of research, uh, how it started, why it started, what you took for granted and all those things that, that, that are aligned with that. And so one of the things that, that we've been doing for many months was, was talking in those open terms. We talked about the whole idea of pausing before you start. But with the launch, of course, we were, we were tasked with lots of people coming to see things that we had made. And for us to be able to articulate why we had made these things to showcase the project and in order to engage with our audience. So what was, you know, one of the, I think, really powerful things about it was the way in which we felt challenged to, to turn our thinking into making and to come up with a, with a, a set of exhibits, which is precisely what we did that we could point to, if you like, and say to the audience, go touch these, go engage with these. And you will see what it is that we're trying to do. And so I think for, you know, for the whole team, that challenge was very, very meaningful in the questions that it asked of us about putting into practice, putting into making the whole ideas about living and bodies and object and research systems that we've been talking about for three months or so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. And Amelia, how um, I mean, this is this is actually it's really fascinating to me how once we put those all those words together, right, living <laughs> bodies, objects, it elucidates sort of what you were saying about why we might want to use a post-human or transhuman lens or a decentered lens as we approach a project like this. Because of course, research projects tend to have a a certain kind of expected center that is, unfortunately, the same kinds of centering on white and Western ideas. And so um, do you want to say a bit about that? Because I feel like there's ways in which this project and posthumanism uh, could potentially have deep value for social justice. And of course, medical humanities as a journal is a social justice journal. So um, can you tell you a little bit about that and about your experiences of that? I'll try. <laughs> <That's a lot. laughs> sorry, so, that was like six questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've been listening and, and just think, reflecting on, on what you were saying earlier, Brandy, and the way that Stuart responded. And just, I wonder, I, I mean, in some ways, I guess what I was going to say about the project maybe links back to what you were saying earlier about kind of questioning the degree to which this idea of the decentering of the human is consistently what the, the buzz human is about or or should or wants to be about. But I, I wonder in that case if it's kind of helpful to think about the the human, you know, in quotation marks for, for the entire phrase in the article there being so important and it has to do with the notion of singularity, not mm. the singularity, but um, uh, the idea of 
of the human as a kind of identifiable singular ex- mm. entity, right? And mm-hmm. and the degree and to whole, which you know, and a whole, a whole entity, yeah, that, a right? whole, yeah. And as you rightly point out, it tends to be racialized, gendered, etc., in mm-hmm. a, in a very particular way, right? That we're all very familiar with. So I think I think. To, for me, that's a part of the posthuman that that's integral, right? Is the the mm-hmm. interrogation of the human as as a singular, as a discrete, as kind of and thinking, as Stuart was saying about networks, assemblages, but also and ecologies, right? About the degree to which there's a kind of constant um, connection that that requires addressing or acknowledgement, um, and the degree to which there's a real loss when one focuses on say dyads or triads the kind of like the doctor patient relationship for example mm. that Stuart was talking about is a place to start but the entire structure and the entire kind of larger ecology has to be taken into account and so yeah. coming back to the our project I think we're not using articles but also if you see the way that we've um, written it there are no spaces between the terms mm-hmm. I think is partly that kind of mesh and, and entanglement and the degree to which living bodies objects is as much a kind of inter a kind of question or interrogation mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a statement and and thinking about the degree to which these blur and blend and can't always be differentiated and and how we might investigate that and um as Stuart said you know it's 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 an unusual project in how open ended it is and which is incredibly liberating and exciting and it's also can be very daunting. Um, I was going to say overwhelming, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it really can be, but it, in a very positive way. But it it feels, you know, there is a kind of potential limitlessness that many people talk about how useful boundaries are and or limits are for kind of creative practice, right? Having to kind of come up with creative solutions to um, barriers or boundaries or limitations. And in this case, the openness is one of the biggest challenges, but mm-hmm. we are very lucky in being in having such a diverse team in terms of disciplines, but also that includes um, creative facilitator and soon we'll have a staff member devoted to documentation. So there's a kind of range of skill sets and experiences. And that's been for me, the most exciting thing so far is that yeah. we're kind of being pushed into areas that we that speaking of myself, <laughs> I'm not as comfortable with initially, but have been incredibly uh, illuminating and for for thinking about yeah. the topic, you know, making things together, imagining the way the material world might address some of the topics um, that we want to consider, and then putting something together and then seeing it as a thing, as a living thing, was incredibly satisfying. Brandy, I was going to pick up on one of your comments about social justice, because I remember after you and I last talked, you know, I, I, I took away a set of ideas around um, justice as you were framing it. And, and as I know that the journal frames it. And one of the things I was you know, thinking of um, post our launch was, well, when something might be overwhelming or when it's open ended, you know, how, how can that be a vehicle for for justice you know in the sense of it of it maybe not having the kind of boundaries that Amelia was talking about the kind of the kind of materiality and I was thinking like back to the to the actual things we did in the launch the things that we made so we we had some 
some mannequins and some body parts, for example, and we we projected images on them of of um, viruses and of living organisms. Uh, we had posters that were produced by putting the keywords from our project title into a AI generator. Um, we had a series of physical objects that were um, mounted as if they were uh, in an exhibition. And all of them, you know, we came to, to realize were provocations. And I think there was mm -hmm. something in the way that we were, that we were not just asking, as it were, basic questions of our audience, that we were provoking them to think about these, these three key words. And I thought, well, yeah, this is, this is connected. This can be connected to an idea of justice because the, the invitation to interrogate and to reflect, I think can be a platform for the kind of, of justice within medical humanities work that I think we would, we would want to happen. So even if there is, you know, this, this, this hard work that needs to come with the open-endedness of the project, we get moments like that where you realize that, that the provocations you're making do become this space in which, in which ideas and questions of justice from which those questions might flow. I think that that's, uh, and actually what I was, I was going to tag back to something Amelia said that now actually connects well with what you've just said. So you set this up for me brilliantly. Um, but uh, I love the concept of questioning, quote unquote, the human, Amelia. Um, and I think I used to work in a museum. So I've worked in a medical museum. I did do exhibits. And I know the Welcome Collection has, it, it has its share of exhibits. And all the time when you're curating, you're setting yourself up to be like, I'm telling you what's important, right? This is the history <laughs> of the human in the medicine. And um, so it, I think interrogating that and breaking that down is hugely important. So if you created an exhibit where the people who see the exhibit get to go, no, that doesn't mean that to me, <laughs> or I have questions, or I think you should take this in another direction. Now we're creating a space that is very different, that is, that is doing a very different kind of work, that's asking people to create with you in this experiential space. And I think that's, I, I didn't get a chance to go to your launch or to the exhibit as I was not in the right country, but um, <laughs> it makes it difficult. But I do think that that's really a powerful thing. If you can invite people in to be part of that process, that in itself is opening a door to social justice. Because of course, uh, it's what I always say at the journal that we want to speak with, not about, you know, I want to hear from, not, not talk at, not hear about. So when you're inclusive in that way and open-ended in that way, um, I think it creates spaces for new things to happen. And in that sense, I love the idea that what we're really doing is saying, what is the human? What is the history? What is the medicine? I was thinking something really similar, Brandy, because one of the um, elements of the of the launch, um, one of the installations, as Stuart mentioned, was a series of objects that were kind of displayed in a similar style to museum exhibition. And I had recently developed an exhibition at, at our local uh, Thackeray Museum of Medicine here. And it was a really interesting experience to do the two back to back. Whereas, mm. you know, with, as you say, working with the museum, I felt really tasked to tell the story to, to, to at least explore a narrative to develop a narrative um, that had a kind of consistency to it um, in this case 
what we did was, you know, create, uh, include objects that had multiple potentially conflicting placards associated mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And so depending on your, your approach, you would get a different version and, you know, and then you could go around them and kind of chart your own response in relation to these, you know, and some were quotations, some were descri- um, descriptions, um, and that were more or less, you know, obviously explicitly um, stemming from the object. So just in that one instance, there was a really clear sense of the what was really different about what we were doing and the degree mm-hmm. to which the project has facilitated a different mode of working than I'd ever had the opportunity um, to right. explore before. Uh, so I, I think I, it was very fortuitous that they were back to back because, I mean, it was the first <laughs> time I'd ever put an exhibition together in a museum, you know, prior to the launch. Anyway, I wouldn't have had that had that um, to compare it to. And then recently the group, part of the LBO group, um, Stuart wasn't able to come, but we went to London last week to go to the welcome. And that was also a good reminder of the varied ways that an exhibition can tell stories um, and the way that within an exhibition itself, you know, there can be a kind of dialogue, a kind of speaking back to the conventions of display. So, yeah, I think that's something we want to carry forward as we continue. Yeah, D- digital displays actually lend them. I, I worked on a uh, an NEH funded project, a, a big one at a museum mm. in which we developed a digital project so that you could actually build your own narrative through it. You could almost mm. give your own, your, take yourself through the museum in the ways that you wanted to. But And obviously there's limits to that too. But I think increasingly, uh, especially with this new virtual world in which we live um, post-COVID, that there's some expectation that there's going to be abilities to engage, right? That we're looking for point and click options that you might not have originally had those expectations. So it's a good time uh, for a project like this, though I will say I've had people ask me, so what is their project? And I do find answering that question is somewhat complex. I'm like, well, it's about being about things. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that is that is part of the, the joy of the project too. Did you want to say a bit more about that specifically, um, Stuart, I know that we we grappled with this some the last time, and I, I figure at each stage, you're going to know a little bit more about where you're headed. I think so. I mean, it, it's true, yeah, you know, a slight anecdote, but when we were successful getting the funding for the grant, the university press office said they'd like to release a statement about it, and they asked us what the project was about in in a very press office type way. You know, they needed a hook, and they needed yeah. saying, well, who benefits from this and in what way? And we had this rather uh, uh, problematic back and forth about, you know, me not being able to supply them with the kind of tag- <laughs> taglines that they wanted. I think that that you described it very well, actually, you know, the, the about of the about. But one of the things that the launch did was was definitely make some of that more concrete. I mean, because listening to what you're saying and you not knowing the details of it, you're nevertheless talking about things we did. So we did have a VR <laughs> experience. We did have, you know, a, an incredible amount of, of kind of digital input. We we had a dancer um who danced to body sounds, who was dancing to a heartbeat of one of our team members. And then when she danced faster, the heartbeat increased. And whilst that is a certain amount of of playfulness, it's also going back to those points we're trying to make about how bodies operate in the world. So I guess what we what we feel is that that we've put together four or five months 
in which we've kind of done a deep dive, not just into some foundational ideas of bodies and objects and the whole idea of living, but how you do the research on them. And the next phase is to start working with specific partners to kind of both continue and develop that. So um, from July, we'll be working with a theatre company in Leeds called Interplay Theatre, who work a lot around sensory theatre. Uh, and we're really excited about the kind of dynamics that are going to emerge from that. But we're still being guided by that kind of openness. You know, we've had initial conversations with them and, we, you know, we want to go where they want to take us in many ways. But we've got a setup now. We know how that can start. We can build on what we've done. So we are finding out about it. But I think the fact we made things mm-hmm. that that really spoke of our work has been incredibly enabling because um, I'm sure we'll be able to provide you with some of the photographs of, of what we did. And hopefully they can, yeah, they can you know, they can go with, you know, when you mm-hmm. put when you put this podcast on the site and that will give people listening now, you know, a sense of of what we're doing. And the website is only um, is not very far away, I was told today as well, actually. So that's going to be really that's going to be really great. Well, don't you think in some ways, I mean, you've made things with your bodies. I mean, that's it's it's a very different thing from coming up with an idea in your mind. And I think there's a tactile and haptic response uh, that goes into creation of that sort. And so I'm not at all surprised that it had those kinds of outcomes for you, but also that that's what this project is trying to get at the heart of, um, I will say t- two things. One, uh, absolutely, we will include images. And we also do a transcript of all of our podcasts so that will be available as well um, on the blog that's attended. But the Medical Humanities Project, as a journal, is also attempting to grapple with those questions. How do you research? How do you, if research itself has structures that you need to get around, how do you research how to do research <laughs> when you're coming from those? It's sort of like trying to see, uh, you know, the back of your own head. But um, we're, we're doing something like that, at the Medical Humanities Journal as well, which is there's huge problems with the fact that publishing as an industry and academic publishing in particular is exclusionary by its very nature. It's um, it's hard to get in. It's hard to, there's paywalls even uh, and there's paywalls, whether it's open access or not. It's either at the user end or at the producer end. So uh, you know, you're either paying to open it as an author or you're paying to access it as a reader. And that means that we're not hearing all of the voices. And it is very difficult. How do you get into press? How do you you can say all day that you want diversity in publication, but how do you actually make that happen? So we're having to deconstruct and work around what publishing normally looks like. And that's partly why we're doing Path to Publication now, which uh, works with people from the global South, but also like we're having uh, an issue on neurodiversity written entirely by neurodiverse people. And we're taking that through this two-year process in order to get them in a place where they can publish because you almost have to deconstruct the very nature of what you do in order to achieve the ends that you want for the purposes of diversity. So um, so I want to I wanna just ask one last question and then I'll let you guys go. I really appreciate your time. And that's this. Even though at the moment you're still working out exactly what these research questions will be, what do you hope that the outcomes are? What are your larger you know, goals for opening up these kinds of conversations? What do you hope will will achieve by doing a project like this? Just for my part, I will say that it's not all about kind of, you know, gazing towards a horizon in which anything is possible. I mean, my hopes are that at the end of the three years, in many ways, we will have got kind of critical methodology 
that we can then turn to or turn into rather, you know, research questions, that there will be some element of health experience, some kind of dynamic of health that suddenly we realize we have critical tools to discuss. Mm-hmm. And they hopefully will be um, not just about research and publication or about research that takes different forms, um, but will be able to look at, you know, whatever they are, the, those texts, those oral histories, those kind of, you know, different kinds of manifestations of health. And we'll be able to say, because we've done what we've done, we can now do, if you like, phase two. We can now look towards uh, taking forward this methodology. So that's on the one hand. The other thing is that we hope we can then turn around and face our university and say, well, look, you can do research in this way. You know, Mm -hmm. you can include these people. You don't have to abide by these metrics. Or or maybe you do. I don't know. You know, that. that, but, (laughs) but, but you can have a research environment. Mm-hmm. which doesn't have to simply perpetuate you know current dynamics which is as you said very eloquently there you know uh, are frequently um exclusionary exactly so i think that this is a really brilliant way for you guys the way you're opening this up and i'm really excited that medical humanities as the podcast can be part of this and that we can keep having these conversations. So uh, if you're just um, listening to this podcast for the first time, we had Stuart on before, and we will be having additional ones in the future. There will be other colleagues, uh, other colleagues of Amelia and Stuart that will take part and tell us more about this experience as it moves forward into, you know, into the future of what it's going to produce and how. So thank you both for being on here. I really do appreciate your time. And I know everyone here has really enjoyed listening Anything that you could leave us with um, in terms of where you're going with the project, what you're excited about for the future as kind of parting words, what would you say? I'm very excited, as Stuart mentioned, for the for the website to, to happen so that we have a place where we can collect um, and share all of these uh, these various outputs, these what which are for me, for me anyway, rather unconventional outputs. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty accustomed to the more conventional kind of text-based, um, you know, work that you would find in journals and books. Um, but the the way that we're incorporating a degree of kind of embodied practice has been really exciting for me, and and finding ways to make those available is part of the challenge of the project and um, the website will be the per- first port of call for that. You can follow us on our, our Twitter, which uh, Stuart knows. <laughs> is that right, Stuart? <laughs> um, it's at LB objects. At LB objects. And these are all kind of quite nascent, you know, they're, they're just coming into maturity soon, we hope. Um, but we, because we spent so much time really focusing on what, ended up being called I believe that the start before the start was our first period (laughs) so um you know we were focusing on the our group as opposed to outward facing which is again super super awesome and and not not done nearly enough I mean I think that's it's fascinating. It's a project that's decentering the center, but is also (laughs) at the same time really centering on the people that are part of it. I, I think it's really brilliant. Well, it's been, it, I have to say, it's been a delight so far. And, um, and then as we work with, um, interplay, as Stuart mentioned, um, there will be certainly be, um, events happening that will be 
you know, posted on that website that will be some of which will likely be open to the public. So mm-hmm. please do stay, stay posted if you're in the Leeds area and the Yorkshire area, but we're also going to have all kinds of um, really wild and wonderful forms of documentation <laughs> available. Yes. So I would say, you know, from now till the end of the year, um, things will be emerging quite rapidly. That's fantastic. Well, I just appreciate having both of you on. Uh, listeners, please tune in again. And thank you, as always, for being part of the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We are also on Twitter as medhums underscore BMJ.